This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Welcome to Talking Flutes. Today is all about teaching and learning. Now I think as a teacher we can often forget what it's like to be a student and learning new skills for the first time. It can be very enlightening to swap places and become the student again. I'm always interested in how other teachers teach no matter what the specialism is. Now as many of you know I ran my own flute summer course for over 25 years. A few weeks ago, I went on a course not for flute, but for golf. Now, for regular listeners, this will come as no surprise as I'm often referencing golf. I found the whole experience fascinating, to be on the receiving end of tuition rather than the giving. It made me think about how I learn and how I respond to tuition. Now, there are many parallels between learning the flute and learning golf. Not surprising as there are so many similarities in learning a practical skill. So today, I'm thrilled to be chatting to Ryan Fenwick, the head PGA professional at West Hove Golf Club here in the UK. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Claire. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited about this, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) This is right up my tree. (laughs) Now, I'm going to run through some of your career highlights, just so people understand. Now, you're the head PGA professional at West Hove Golf Club, and you're the owner of the Ryan Fenwick Golf Academy. And you're a former tour professional and you competed all over the world, um, winning in lots of places, including South Africa. Former England coach for 12 years, former head Sussex coach. And you opened up your Ryan Fennick, Ryan Fennick, Ryan Fennick. <laughs> <laughs> you opened up your Ryan Fennick Golf Academy to help various levels of players, but you spend most of your time coaching at elite level. However, you still enjoy coaching all levels of players who have a desire to learn and improve. That's where I fit in. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Many parallels in teaching. So, how would you describe your teaching style? That's a great question, Claire. Um, I've been asked that a few times um, when I think about it. It definitely comes from my experience of my playing days and being around great coaches. I was very fortunate enough to spend a lot of time with some world-class coaches, and one of them being um, the great David Ledbetter in Florida and David and his wife Kelly took me under their wing many moons ago and I spent sort of three years in the winter months training under David and watching him coach the greatest players in the world your your Greg Normans, your Nick Faldos, your your Tom Watsons and I think from those days in my playing experience my, my coaching style now is very rounded in the regards that relationships are everything communication is everything and honesty is everything Um, and I'm a big big advocate of what environment we create as coaches for our players because environment will dictate what the habits and the routines are of the player so we're looking at everything but really it's about relationships for me and that honesty wow very similar to music (laughs) so relationships are all important because if you don't have that relationship with your student it's very difficult for them to to learn they need to know that you're being straight with them Mm. and that they can trust what you're saying to them it's so important Um, I come across many adolescents young young players who then grow into becoming um, you know 18 19 20 years old leaving the UK, getting scholarships in America, returning to the UK, wanting to become professionals. Uh, And relationships is massive. And a little story, I attended a wedding this weekend of one of the young lads I've been involved with since he's 12 years old. And his mum and dad, um, and his girlfriend as well. And he's actually a golf professional who's playing in the Open Championship this week. Marco Penge, Um, so it'd be good to watch out for Marco. Why am I talking about that? Well, he's 25 now. I started being part of Marco's team when he was 12 years old. and He, he lives in Manchester now, so I, I no longer coach him, but I'm still friends and, and we still have that great bond and, and great relationship, even though I'm not his everyday coach. 
So being part of someone's life is really important as a coach because you get to know them as well as the people closest to them. Mm. It's interesting that professional golfers have coaches. Yeah, in music, it tends to be that the professional players, so the professional flute players, don't have coaches. They've moved. They've moved on. I've often thought that it would be great if you could keep that, still keep a connection. It happens in singing a lot more, but not in not in flute. So you you finish your training and then wow. you launch off into the professional life on your own. Wow. And that's really difficult because when you're on your own, you you lose that big support of your of your coach yeah. and you have to work things out for yourself and it's it's not an easy path what why is that what is there a, is there a reason i don't know it just it's just how it's always been and i suppose there's so little money in professional okay. music that you can't really afford yeah. to have a coach sort of on tap all the time not that in the in the lower levels of golf, you're earning very much money either. No. But it seems to be. I mean, the top the top players don't they have their manager, they have their training instructor, they have their physiotherapist. They've yeah. got they've got the lot. They certainly have. There's there's an entourage that are travelling with most of the top players these days, um, and you could see that across a multitude of sports. But in my industry in golf, you'll see it this week on the TV for the Open Championship at Royal Liverpool. They will, they have their golf coach, they have their putting coach, they'll have a short game coach, <laughs> they'll have a sports psychologist, they'll have a massage therapist, they'll have their um, physio or strength and conditioning coach with them, their agent, um, their caddy, and then they'll have their family as well. Mm. Right, well, flute players, maybe we should... Um, you should step up. Step up. <laughs> we, should, we need to have um, our tone coach, our technique coach, our go. articulation coach... The manager, of course, makeup and hair artist, which some people do, I know. <laughs> uh, performance coach, advisors. That's it. Yes. But then, then we were talking about um, players on a slightly lower level who are professionals um, that I do coach and do support who don't earn the money um, to be able to afford somebody like me to travel to tournaments all the time. However, I do think it's part of our job and our remit to invest time, energy, effort with these players so that they do become autonomous um, like you're describing the flute players um, so they are as self-sufficient as they can be. Even though the top, top golfers in the world are self-sufficient, they still need that environment around them every week of high performance. So um, motivation isn't, isn't a problem for those guys and girls. Um, but making sure they are doing all the right stuff, right down to what they eat, what they drink, how much sleep they get. Um, are they flexible enough? Are they fit enough? Um, and is their mind ready to compete? So by having all of that team with them, that, that's what makes them tick. It's still so applicable to flute because you also need to eat well, sleep well, be fit, because we're basically, most of us, self-employed. Mm. So if you're ill, you don't get paid. So it's, it's really important that we look after every aspect of our, our lifestyle. Mm. And yet it's not common in the music world. And it really should be. Maybe I should set myself up as a life coach. Ryan. Sounds great. I'll yeah. employ you tomorrow. Oh, Claire. great. Wonderful. You're amazing. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's really interesting stuff, this. When you were playing, did you also teach? In my early days of, of being a professional, the answer would be no. Mm. As I grew as a professional, became older, more mature, more experienced, I then realised actually I had knowledge that I could give to other people. So you might start with friends, family, um, and then you play a lot of pro-am, so you meet a lot of um, corporate clients who love their golf, um, who would give anything to be able to do what we can do, um, who can afford coaching and things like that but in the pro-ams you would end up giving advice coaching without realizing that you're coaching and it wasn't until I stopped playing golf I already had an experience of coaching via those avenues which really helped me yeah well I started teaching my first year was when I was at school with the sixth form and there was a 
a youngster who wanted to have some some lessons and so I stepped in and then from college days I'd always had a few private students and I developed a, a love for it because it complemented the playing aspect. You Obviously you can't just become a teacher, you have to sort of develop your own ideas and ways of communicating and that comes after many, many years. But for me it was always the two things were going on side by side and I always knew that if you should only teach if you wanted to. And a lot of musicians teach because they have to. Yeah. Which is not always a good place to start. Do you find that comes across? Can you almost tell the ones that do it because they love it? I think so, with the, with the enthusiasm. And, and the fact that, you know, I always say that the, the role of a teacher is to be dispensable mm. in terms of when you've given all that you can give and they can stand on their own two feet, then you're of no use anymore. Different in golf because then you're you're still needed for that as a sounding board and to check thing to check things out and I just feel that we should bring that definitely more into the the music industry. You should for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Mentorship things like that. Yeah, like yeah. you say, sounding boards really really important. I spend a lot of my time talking to not just the player, but because there's so many. Um, people involved in their team so it might be the physio it might be the the swing coach it might be the putting coach but I spend a hell of a lot of my time talking to the caddy because the caddy it's like a marriage so the caddy will be with that player 10 hours a day Hmm. you know they're, they're spending maybe two hours warming up four and a half hours five hours on the golf course they'll come in they'll sign their card they'll do their stats fill out their statistics for the day have something to eat then they'll start practicing again Hmm. and the caddy is with them all the time so it is a marriage and you get some interesting insights by um, asking some probing questions um, as well as asking the player but you'll get two sides of the story Hmm. for those of you who don't know anything about golf professional golfers have a partner called a caddy who carries their clubs and gives them the yardages for each shot so you've got someone to to check with and discuss about which shot you're going to do so it's a bit like if you're a flute player and you're standing on the concert stage and you've got your teacher there and you're going to you say and and how do you think i should approach this piece and and what pointers could you give me except we don't have that (laughs) interesting A, a caddy is um they're almost a golfologist so they have to have a, an element of psychology, mm. um, great knowledge of the game, great knowledge of the player, mm. real deep insights in how they respond to failure, what makes them tick, what gets them aroused, are they over aroused, what's the body language, what signs are they showing off, <laughs> and the caddy will be controlling the whole routine over each shot. Quite often on TV we'll watch a golfer about to play their shot and just before they're about to swing, they'll step away. Quite often that's the caddy stepping in and just quietly saying to the player, stop, we need to press reset. The wind might have changed, something might happen, or the player just looks uncomfortable and distracted. Hmm. But the player is so emotionally attached in that moment, they're not aware of it. So they have the luxury of the caddy stepping <laughs> in and saying, come on, let's start again. Oh, it's interesting, isn't it? So, you know, I started off our chat today saying that I'd been on one of your courses which was incredible and we had four days of quite intense coaching which really appealed to the way I like to I like to learn that where things are very clear and concise and you have a a clear route as as to what you should be doing and how you can achieve your goal so you're, you're on a journey from A to B and you've you start at A and you're given clear directions how to start moving forward even though it might take you a long time or to get to be so how do you think someone can become a good student wow what a question open have a willingness to fail is the first thing I'll always say to everybody where a lot of people really don't understand that because golf has so many variables like many sports um, weather wind every shot's different different length shot there's so much to learn so a willingness to learn 
a willingness to fail and an understanding that frustration is a big part of the process. Mm. Same in music. To get further in music, we have auditions or exams. So it might be an exam or an audition to get in a particular group or to get into a college or to get into an orchestra. And there's far more failure than there is success because very few people make that next, next step up. So I think you're absolutely right. Learning how to deal with failure, how mm. to overcome that disappointment, that frustration. I used to find that whenever I had a, a sort of rejection, whatever it might be, I would have a day of, you know, kicking the cupboard and feeling, feeling really upset and cross about it. And then the next day I'd say, right, what's the next thing I'm going for? And I, I did tons of competitions and I'd be on, on to the next one. The preparation was what was important, that you always gave yourself time for that preparation. Maybe we should move on to that about yeah. competitions, how, where do competitions fit in terms of music and, mm. and sport? With music, how do, you, how do you reflect on a performance or if you were at a competition? And you have judges at competitions, yep. I believe. Yep. So the result is in somebody else's hand. Mm -hmm. So you may feel like you've played the perfect piece, done everything exactly how you would do it, and not win. Mm -hmm. And then other times you may be feeling you haven't achieved what you wanted to achieve, but maybe you've won. How do you reflect on both of those? Mm. It's very, very, very difficult because sometimes if you feel you've played the best you can and you get rejected, it's very difficult to, to be able to step back and deal with it. We were saying earlier, we were chatting before we started the recording, that music is very subjective, whereas in, in golf you go around and a, the person who gets around in the least shots wins. Mm. Whereas in music it's not that clear cut. You're dependent on, a, on an external panel, whether they like you, whether they like what you're doing, whether you've communicated to them. And it makes it very, very difficult. But yeah, looking back at being able to give yourself a little bit of time after rejection to just sort of recover from the shock and then to reflect after a day or two and try and think about how you can improve. Because we don't get feedback. Oh, really? You know, don't get feedback. So, you know, you know you haven't got through to the next round, but you haven't got in the orchestra, oh. or you didn't pass. Uh, exams you will do if it's, if, okay. if it's the accredited exam boards. And you haven't got but, a coaching team with you no, to help no, you reflect. No, unless it's been with an audience where you might have people who know you who can give you feedback after you've performed. But mm. generally speaking, you've got to work it out for yourself. Wow. And often you don't come to the right conclusion. Yes. So it's, it is very, very difficult. So you just have to say, well, I did what I, I prepared enough, I played well, I did, as, for me, I did the best I could do. Mm. It wasn't good enough, I don't know why, but I did as best I could do. And then hopefully the next time, you do the same preparation, the same mentality of going in, all prepared, ready, give a great show, and then hopefully you do get through. Fantastic, I love that. The difference in golf is the golfers have a team that help them reflect. So they have mm. a score, which doesn't normally lie. Mm. They'll have a set of statistics. Statistics, I love statistics. Um, I'm very big <laughs> into that because yeah. it's factual. It's not the be all and end all. And there are factors that will influence that, whether an you know, injury or something. Um, but our reflections are pretty uncomfortable mm. at the high level when you when you're talking to somebody who's in high performance um, whether it's a top amateur or a professional the reflections can be quite tricky and they are supposed to be uncomfortable because you really you want to get into somebody's head into their psyche and their thinking but mainly their honesty mm. because if they're not being honest they're they're hiding from something and they'll never kick on. Hmm. The best players I've, I've played with, who are very well known around the world, they are 100% the most honest people you will meet about themselves and the people around them. Yeah. I suppose the only thing that I could say is vaguely similar to that is that we can record ourselves. 
so you can listen back to recordings and you can play recordings to your tutors right and then you can assess how things were but unless you've got the most fantastic recording equipment mm. it's very difficult to be precise about how someone has sounded it's very much more how they've phrased something how if they've played with the clarity of, of articulation you look at individual aspects but the actual tone bit is difficult unless you've got a few thousand pounds spent on a microphone yes and of course you have a video which and machines that tell people tell people how far they've hit and what's happening to the actual golf ball when they hit we don't have any of this mm. um, technology we just have recordings yeah and you and your feelings your emotions mm. um, your reflections can be challenging if you're the only person because you're emotionally attached very emotionally attached that's the same with both of our mm. specialities your emotions are intertwined with everything you do and so it's very difficult to pick someone up when they've had a disappointment and also it's quite hard to calm someone down when they've had a great success because they have to go on to the next mm. stage and be calm about it all yeah press yeah. reset let's go again yes yeah, yeah. use that as a as a, a fuel mm. a confidence booster but not as a distraction and never get complacent mm. That is so easy to happen. Mm. I, I've had that with young people and their parents where they're winning at under 14s, under 15s, under 16s and so on. And they come to wanting to turn professional in their, say, 20 years old, but they've stopped growing because everyone else has been working really hard around them and they start to overtake them. And a lot of these youngsters haven't had much adversity in their life when they turn professional it becomes so much more expensive so much more cutthroat out there and you need to be really hard and a lot of them when they're young they're scared of failing because they're used to winning so they don't know what it feels like so they have no coping skills mm. as they get older whereas a lot of the younger ones who have failed but were still competitive are used to adversity, know how to deal with it, and they mm. generally kick on. So I don't know in, in, in the music world if you have a lot of young people who are very well known, very, very good at what they do, but they plateau out and stop moving forward. Happens, happens all the time. We have, a, we have, in the UK, we have exams that you can do, sort of public exams run by people at the Associated Board and Trinity, and they have different levels. And we have a lot of players who've got taken the top level at an early age because they can move around the instrument very easily and play all the pieces. So I think because they've achieved this top level of the exam that they've sort of made it. And then they come and audition at music college and they don't get in anywhere because they're nowhere near the level that's required because they've been so focused on getting their exams done, they've forgotten to actually learn how to play the thing. Mm -hmm and they've not taken advice and they've not opened their ears to the level that is around them and so they they don't have any idea they don't understand why they're not the best player around in fact no they're nowhere near the best player so i think it's a good lesson for us all to learn to to listen and to watch what's going on around you so that you're aware of what the level is and go and watch and listen and learn so in music we say go go to flute courses, hear classes given at the conservatoires, and watch and listen. And so you're aware of what the level is. I think that's fantastic. Sorry to cut in there. I feel that's amazing. Skill acquisition. So learning new skills and then implementing them skills is so important. The creativity, the visualization, to want to improve is everything. It's got to be driven within you I'll give you a, a short little story about my own son so I've got three children he's our middle child I actually did it with my eldest child as well but a very good friend of mine used to run the Australian Institute of Sport heavily into human movement and I just knew my children were going to be into sport and he said to me don't let your son walk too early keep him crawling up the stairs 
and I was I was fascinated by this. And he said also, when you get him in the garden and he's playing with balls, make sure he's throwing with his right hand and his left hand, and he's kicking with his right foot and his left foot. He's he's 12 years old now. Um, he's in the Brighton Football Academy, and he uses both feet. But from the age of four in the garden, we encouraged him to use his left foot, not his right foot. So we used to do little games. He's right-footed, he's right-handed. And when he arrived at the Brighton Academy and the coach said, what foot, what foot are you? He said, oh, I'm left-footed. And he's not. He's, he's actually right-footed, but he can use both feet. And that was purely the environment that he grew up in in our back garden from a very young age. So I experimented there to see what, what would happen. And I, would, I think it's great that if parents and people themselves no matter what age they are do something different and have the courage to do something different rather than just doing the same as what everybody else does because that may not be applicable to your own personal learning journey or your own DNA everybody is different and especially in golf everybody's arm lengths are different their height is different their torso versus their leg length is different um, they may play golf right-handed, but they might actually be left-handed, so they're left-side dominant. They may have a right-eye dominance or a left-eye dominance. Everybody's a unique individual. But be creative and keep developing that skill set so that when you're in the highest environment and under the most pressure, you've got so much armour in your locker. Yeah, yeah, very good words. I used to find that I was a bit rebellious. if some If I heard someone say don't do x i would do x to just see why it didn't work love it so you become a bit more flexible but you're not afraid to go somewhere to try and Definitely. help your learning Definitely. experience i said i came on your coaching trip in lovely sunny portugal and i very much on a on a on a very happy golfing journey and very frustrating actually i have to say incredibly <laughs> frustrating it's the most frustrating thing i've ever done and the most joyful thing I've, I've ever done in terms of terms of hobbies but i watch a lot of golf and teaching videos and i often hear things and i go and try them think one day either it's oh that works really well and then the next day i try it i think that doesn't work at all and it's it messes with my head which is where having a really good coach is important that you don't go off on a complete tangent yeah. which wrecks everything that you've been doing and, and that's what happens in flute that sometimes that you've been learning something you've changed something getting into a bad habit is so easy and getting into a good habit is so hard yes agreed engulfing terms to create a bad habit they say will happen in 500 shots. To get out of that bad habit, they say it takes 5,000 shots. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Now let's, let's move on to some other things. We've had a, a similar experience in our professional lives in that we both had to give up playing because of ill health. Yes. And you've managed to build a hugely successful career after playing. I wanted to know how difficult that was. Can you talk about resilience and mental strength and how did you set a new path and how did you set new life goals? It's only until recently, Claire, I've realised what I actually did to cope with the stresses of giving up playing as a tournament professional, travelling the world with the same people, being in the environment I'd always wanted to be in since a young kid. Um, as a young kid, I used to train before school, after school. It, was, it still is my life, but it really was my life as a, as a player. When I stopped playing, I literally stopped playing on the Friday. And two weeks later, I'd started my coaching badges. Because I just threw myself into it. Because I didn't know anything else. Nothing else entered my head. It was just an obvious thing that I wanted to do. I, lo I just loved the environment. I love being around people. And I then realised I, I had a bit of a knack for it. I think my personality is that way. Um, and helping people is something I enjoy doing. I was still slightly competitive in the early days of my coaching. And then my health got too bad. I had to give up. And I now haven't 
played or been competitive for at least 10 years. So being around very good players, being around complete beginners, being around the average club golfer, all gives me happiness and joy because I'm helping someone and seeing them get better at what they love. And that's what I used to do. Um, I can't do it myself, so the next best thing is seeing other people do it. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's lovely. And, and I always used to say that I'll teach all ages, all abilities, if they want to learn. It's whether, if someone wants to learn something, I can help. Yeah. And it's great satisfaction when you, actually, when you do that. It's amazing. We, we have many young children in our academy, um, start from the age of five, um, and go right through to 18. We've got a couple of them at the moment. There's a young lad who's seven years old, he's just turned seven, young Alex, comes with his dad every week and there's a group of children that come and even at seven he's already competitive so he's playing around the country and he's already played a tournament in Europe <laughs> um, why am I mentioning this well th this young lad just bounces off the walls when he walks in and he doesn't even recognise when he's hit a bad shot all he talks about is his good shots the older juniors so you'll get a 16, 17 year old all they're talking about is their bad shots. So you've got parallels there in the regard that they're both wanting to achieve something, but actually their reflection's quite quite different. Mm -hmm. And when you see these, these little ones coming in the academy and loving their golf, I get such a buzz from being around that and helping them, not just with their golf, but little things. So we, we, we do things about discipline and habits and routine. So young Alex will have to arrive and will ask the parents, did he make his bed this morning? <laughs> did he clean his shoes? If the answer's no, they're not allowed to attend the session. That's tough. We make that really clear before they sign up. There's just little things that we do, little life skills, to give them ownership from day one. Because our job isn't just to tell, our job is to coach. And the definition of a coach is taking someone from one destination and delivering them to another destination. Mm. But you're not going to be there all the time. Mm. So ideally we want to make ourselves redundant. Yeah. So giving them the skills as much as we can is really, really important. If they learn that early, they generally will carry that on. That's great. I wonder if any of our flute teachers listening will implement uh, when they have a student have you made your bed today have you cleaned your shoes did you clean your flute out <laughs> and that's before you've even talked about practice oh absolutely you know this it's that's incredible there are so many little things and habits and behaviors that the world's best players do that we don't really know about mm. i'm fortunate enough to to know about these things and it's important that people like me pass that on hmm. because if we don't pass it on how are they ever going to know yeah and i'm the same in that i know how the professional flute player works the successful ones how they approach their work how they their, their work ethic their practice yeah. uh, the way they apply themselves and the way they keep themselves motivated a similar thing but let's move on you've talked about these youngsters and teenagers what about the old buggers like me. <laughs> How do you approach the the people who are just true amateurs who just love yeah. the sport or the discipline and want to learn? Do you do different things? You haven't asked me if I've made my bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would hope you would, Claire. <laughs> I have, I have, um, don't worry. I know how disciplined you are, <laughs> absolutely. I know how polished your shoes always are. Um, no, I'm only kidding. It's very different, you know, someone who's a, who's a parent or um, full-time job and running the house and everything they've got going on. So golf to them is their outlet, it's their release, it's their hobby, their love, their passion. They get so much enjoyment. Sometimes coaches like myself can actually take that enjoyment away by trying to make somebody perfect. So the first thing is to get them to understand the standard they are and be realistic about where they want to get to and then we build a plan around well, how we're we going to get there 
I use a traffic light system and I look at somebody's technique. I'll look at their green lights, so where are they good? I'll make them aware of that. Their amber lights, which are the little things that might need tweaking, but actually, if you tweak them, would it make a big difference? Probably not. Is there a red light that is really stopping them from kicking on? And all of us normally have one or two red lights. Once they're aware of those red lights, I make them aware they have to earn the right to correct the red light before they can move on. So the ownership and the expectation is back on the player. Hmm. Um, I don't want it to become just a telling culture. So the worst thing is to see somebody like me as, I'll go and see Ryan and he'll fix me. Hmm. Well, that's fine. Um, but that type of person tends to be a, a bit of a firefighter golfer. So they're putting out little fires in their game um, and they're not really moving on. Mm. But if we can nail that, that one thing with the average club golfer, they will enjoy their game so much more. Yes, but what you did in, in the, the golf course I went on is that we had morning of coaching where we were just on the practice area and you gave us various drills so it's warming up, you know, making sure we're getting the right movements, posture, little tiny, tiny hitting motions, and lots of different drills, which was very similar to flute again, <laughs> in that that's, I spent my life giving people drills and giving them ideas on how to warm up so that you don't go, I always say, you know, we've got to be, um, you can't just be like the 100 meter running. A 100 meter runner doesn't go and just run 100 meters. Mm. They warm up, they do stretching exercise, they might jog 400 metres and then run 100. They, do, they don't just go and practice running 100 metres. So I love the fact that you gave us drills, which then we took away, this is Rolf and I, my husband and I, and we've practised them almost like a religion every time we've gone to the golf course. And I tell you what, it works. Brilliant. And that was so interesting for me as a student it was good for me to realise what it was like to be a student again because I haven't been a student for such a long time. And you sometimes, I think you can forget as a teacher how a student will learn and everyone is different and you need to adapt to the student and adapt to their needs, which is what you were doing all through that, that course in that you, I've heard you teach different people and you don't say the same thing to everyone. You're saying different things applicable to the individual which I always thought is the sign of, of a fabulous teacher, rather than just repeat the same old, same old, same old, regardless who's standing in front of you. So it was a really, it was a real eye-opener for me to remember what it's like to learn mm. and to take that away and put that into practice and then see results. And I think that's what all our listeners can do as well, and that you have to really listen take on board what's being said, go away and work at that, and then look back and see what's happened. 100%. Yeah. What? Although I am someone who likes to be perfect, Ryan, so I'm really struggling. <laughs> <laughs> I always used to practice. I mean, you were saying about the practice. I practice six hours a day for years and years. You get up at six o'clock in the morning, you practice, you might have breakfast, and then you go and practice. Then you, you, you know, it's, it's, it was work, work, work. And through college days, six hours practice. It's uh, continuous. Continuous. Holidays, you practice. Took my flute everywhere. I couldn't, I never relaxed properly on holiday because I had to get my practice done. Then I could relax. So I was very much totally blinkered, focused. You know, my twenties were all about achieving. I was very lucky I managed to achieve. But it was through the work. You know, mm. I put in I put in all the work. Yeah. And that is exactly the same as in any other practical professional discipline yes I, I believe what, you, what you've just mentioned there and thanks for the kind words um, you were amazing on the trip in Portugal oh thank you <laughs> and it was great to have you and your husband Rolf there and you could really see you had two, I had two individuals in front of me there who I knew were successful in their own right Rolf in his business and yourself with your music and you could see that in your golf game you could also see it in your equipment, how methodical your clubs were in the right compartments. I designed the sessions in a way that 
you should stimulate the mind every day to create the same habits so that when you come back tomorrow you can almost replicate them the game of golf is so complex um, and difficult and each day you may feel different you may have an injury or it's not as warm or it's colder and it may be raining so your golf swing your technique will change flexibility things like that but if we can adopt similar principles every day or the same principles every day how are you going to construct your training session on that day so like we did in Portugal we always started our warm-up our stretching then we put the obstacle in front that we had to hit 10 times 15 times before we would move on to big shots yeah so it's all relevant training where I see a lot of club golfers we have it this week is our club championship this weekend and I guarantee you the driving range and the putting green will be the busiest it's been all all year and people come and they panic practice mm. you don't see these people all year no I actually tell these people you'd be better off go and have a meal have a couple of drinks <laughs> chill out relax turn up and play like you do every week <laughs> But they're building themselves up and trying to do something different. And now the mind is so stressed. By the time it comes to the weekend, they're really wound up by it. Mm. So depending on what personality you are, you should design your training around who you are and what you do. And what you want to achieve from that. You know, there's, um, I, I was contacted by someone recently for, for that, one of their students who is about to retire they're still working at the moment but they, they're practicing when they can sort of for about an hour but they're doing lots of exercises and and technical stuff and they don't get chance to play mm. which is sort of the wrong way around at that at that level and at that time in that you want to encourage the enjoyment and do yes do warm-ups and little drills but you need to get onto the plane because what you're doing, you're, 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 the hobby is to get to play. Like in golf, our hobby is to get to play. Um, Correct. I, when I first started golf, I had a, a, a golf coach who said to me, I'd, I'd just come back from, we'd, we'd just been away for a weekend, first weekend away to play golf. Amazing. And it was so exciting. Wow. We were really excited. So I came back and had a lesson with this golf coach and I said, he said, oh, you've had you been? I said, it's just brilliant. I said, just had a weekend away playing golf. I didn't tell you you could go play on a golf course. I said, what? Wow. You shouldn't be on a golf course yet. Huh. I said, but that's the whole point of this, isn't oh, it? Oh, my God. And I had lessons so I can go and play golf. And it was a real downer. I mean, I was so demoralised and felt patronised. Oh. And I thought, I'm an adult learner who's just come back and said, I've loved learning because I've managed to go and play and had a great time and I want more. And just told me I shouldn't be doing it. Well, that's the definition of um, the wrong type of coach and the wrong yeah. type of coaching. Yeah. It yeah. should be, he's taking the wind out of your sails. Absolutely. He, he should be motoring you along, encouraging you to get back out there. Mm. I would encourage anybody, if any listeners are here who don't play golf and do want to play golf, Go on the golf course as early as you can. Get in the real environment, and then you'll understand what skills you'll need to cope with that environment. Because mm. in our game, you practice or you train on a driving range where you get a big basket of balls. You're on a, a nice square mat, which the surface is always the same, and you're just hitting balls into a field. But when you go on a golf course, every shot is different it's a different length shot you're aiming in different directions maybe uphill downhill side slopes into the wind downwind one's a bunker shot then you've got a part um, very very different you can't do all that on a driving range so i would encourage anybody to get in the real environment and don't just play golf on the golf course train a bit like tennis they have a second serve in golf you don't get that luxury However, in your training, do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's essentially what you're saying because your the equivalent of our driving range is practicing the technical stuff in the in your room, and then your equivalent of getting out on the golf course is our getting out and playing on a 
in a, in a concert playing to somebody. It might be a lesson or a concert, whatever it might be. And you need both. You need a good yeah. mixture of, of both to learn how you cope because you might practice your, your tone, your technique, your articulation for hours, mm. but then you go and play a piece. And it's a bit like you're saying, the golf course is full of variables. A piece is full of variables. Mm. Um, it's, it might be slow, it might be fast, it might be high, it might be low, might have lots of tonguing, no tonguing, might have big long phrases where it's really difficult for breathing. Um, you, you, different types of music, so you have to know how to phrase it. So, you know, if it's early music, you do it one way. If it's contemporary music, you do it another way. So all the variables. So again, we've got so many similarities. How do you, how do you plan, say you have a performance coming up on Saturday, it's Monday, you've got five days. It, if you're playing at a high level, mm. or you're the average person playing music who just loves to, to play it mm. for their family how would you get somebody to prepare during those five days in regards to playing the piece or doing their drills okay well well unfortunately the five days before is, is about three months too late yeah it depends whether you're going to do a whole recital a whole yeah. concert or or just an, an odd piece so you have to really plan way back you have to you know if someone was asking me to do do a concert in 18 months time my head's already buzzing with yeah, whatever it is of course and i, I start with sure. with thinking through and working what do i need to that and then you build up your practice so that you are physically capable of doing that concert there was a, a brass player at my college and we got to the final exams and um, so the final recital program is 40, 40 minutes long and um, this is after four years of study and after 20 minutes he stopped and he said I'm awfully sorry that's, that's all I can do he'd never played for more than 20 minutes oh, <laughs> so, wow. so he couldn't do that <laughs> so that's a lesson learnt Absolutely. that you need to prepare to cope with whatever the demands will be for whatever it is you're working towards so for golf it's not just walking around about what, four to six miles depending mm. on how wayward you are mm. um, but it's the, the physical thing of carrying or pulling your clubs and the mm. swing and using all the all controlling all the muscles and like with music balance rhythm and timing oh. is so crucial and then practice mm. beforehand of course okay so yeah so if you've if you've trained well in your five days before, really, in a way you don't need to play the piece because if you keep playing the piece, you you become you get bored of it and right. you the, that creative the creative juices will start to go. So, you know, if you were playing a, 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 your golf course and you went and played every day for five days the same golf course doing yeah. the same thing, if something changes on the day of the actual event, mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to cope with it. Absolutely. So. Basically, I say keep your skills going, keep your sk the process going of the practice, that you're practicing the skills that are needed to play the piece. Oh, I love that. But not just play the piece, otherwise. I love that. Won't happen. Very similar. Once again, very very similar because we're be encouraging the players to train so that they're virtually at their peak most weeks. Mm. So if they have a problem, they must nail that in the off season, mm. not five days before a tournament. Yeah. And it's exactly the same. So a player will say to me, what should I be doing this week? My tournament starts Saturday. What should I be doing? My answer is doing your daily habits. So each player will have a set of criteria, mm. a standardized thing that becomes habitual and just keep doing it. Mm. What you don't want to do is, is cram, 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 mm. play the golf course loads. No, actually you want to taper off so you're fresh and you're ready you're excited yeah. ready yeah. to go yeah I used to say if, you know when you if someone asks you to play in a year or eight months time if you remember the excitement when someone says would you like to go and play oh yes <laughs> and then as it gets closer that excitement sort of can dwindle for various reasons it could be nerves it could mm. be fear it could be because you're you haven't prepared well enough mm. so you need to make sure you've got a plan of action that keeps that uh, excitement alive 
Yeah. And I agree, the week before is not the week to be trying to sort problems out because that's, that's basically, it's too late. If you've got a, a really healthy practice routine, then you keep that routine going so that all the skills yes. are at a really good level. Yes. And then the, the performance fits. Correct. What, one thing I'll encourage um, the average club golfer to do is do stuff at home, do stuff in their garden. Have habitual once again. Don't because it's the club championship this week. Don't come and cram it all in and drive yourself mad mentally. But stay flexible, stay fluid, create your tempo and rhythm. Mm. Really good birds. Well, Brian, all I can say is that as one of your students, I practice. I know you do. I practice. Care. I practice uh, a you lot. You are extremely diligent. Yes. <laughs> Gold Does, star. I don't always get the results that I want, so I'm having to manage that, which blame, is exactly the, the same as food. <laughs> I won't blame the coach, but it's 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 been a really interesting dynamic to have my role swapped around. Fascinating. Yeah. So listen, it's been fantastic to have you here chatting to us. I think it's got really useful advice. There's our listeners will see it's applicable. Doesn't matter what your discipline is. We're doing a practical. But learning a practical skill, and um, we we learn in a similar way in terms of how we, we we need to approach it. And you can tell that the parallels are the same, or very similar at mm. least. Um, the habits you create, you've got to train in the environment you're going to play, and you've got to you've got to have a rhythm and a and a flow mm. to your technical ability. Yeah. Well, thanks, Ryan. Thanks so much for giving up your valuable time. It's been it'd be absolutely fascinating. I think we could probably do another one or two about various aspects. So many thanks. If, if any listeners have got any questions, do send them in. Our email address is talkingflutes at gmail.com or you can leave a message on our designated Facebook page, Talking Flutes, or Instagram and Twitter, at flute and at clairflute. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for having me, Claire. I feel absolutely honoured <laughs> to be doing this with you. Um, I really appreciate being asked. Thank you very much. You're very, very welcome. And we'll see you again. Thanks, I'd Ryan. love to come back. <laughs> Bye-bye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.